It's finally football season, baby! Game! Finally game! Yes! 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 From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is time finally for real football. The guys have their pads on, they're out there hitting each other, tossing each other's helmets around. It is actually real. We can actually talk about something that happened on the field, something that the players or coaches are talking about, blah, blah, blah. Um, It feels good. It really is, especially because as anyone who lives in Denver or is a Denver sports fan, the Rockies have been terrible. So it's a nice relief to have something positive and how positive it is. What a complete... 360 turnaround this five days, six days, seven days, whatever it is of camp have been from the last two years. It really is night and day. And I think we all kind of expected it. We all hoped for it. We hoped that it would be a completely different atmosphere. It would be a a camp that was led by adults. I mean, that sounds very offensive to Vance Joseph, but you know, in, in reality, he was not an adult in terms of a head football coach. He was not ready for it. Um, and as we all know, um, that leads to a very bad camp, a very bad season, and it gets you fired. Now we have a coach who is as veteran as you're going to get. He's been in the league for a long time, and it really shows that he he has been thinking about this for a long time. I think that's something that has really struck me in this first week. He is he has been considering what he would do if he was a head coach for years and years. This wasn't just something he came into and started winging it. He knew exactly what he wanted from his camp. He's an old guy. He's been in football for years, decades, decades. And he has seen what, at least in his opinion, works and what doesn't work. You know, the lack of music in camp, the, the, the idea that he doesn't go and, and judge someone's performance on the field during the day because he didn't see it all. And that's an interesting thing. I think you, you have coaches who will either throw a guy under the bus or praise them maybe a bit too much. And Fangio is someone who really wants to go and watch the tape afterwards as well. He wants to go and see in detail what happened on the field during camp. And then maybe he'll go and praise someone for how they're doing. He doesn't like to do it live. And I think that's that's a cool thing. I think that's a it's a very veteran approach. And it's it's really with a lot of things he's done. You you get this feeling and I I haven't been there obviously. I, I live in Germany, so I'm not attending these these practices. But from what you hear from from veteran reporters and bloggers and 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 friends even is that there is a feeling of of calm preparedness. And I think I even heard some people, there have been some people in the media who've complained about it a bit, that it's not, it hasn't been a super fast, super exciting camp. 
but that was really over the first few days, I think. And then that was when you're literally trying to get into a rhythm. You're trying to get to learn your guys, you know, really see what they bring, you know, practice after practice. And, you know, the first week, it's really hard to judge anything or anyone. And, and I think after my last, last week's show and article on milehighreport.com, I got a little bit of guff because I was, you know, predicting what's going to happen during camp. I said, Devin Booker is going to take the number two spot from, um, Freeman that Flacco is going to be touted as having a great camp. Locke is going to be really good and a few other things. And in any way, you know, people said, yeah, you know, and, oh, and I, okay, the main one I said was that the offense was going to outperform the defense in camp. I didn't say the first week. My prediction wasn't for one week. So let's, let's slow down a bit because the offense was really kind of dominated, I think, in the first few days. And they've really turned things around. I think the, they're starting to to get you know a little bit of that rhythm on offense. They're starting to learn each other. And it makes sense. I mean, as a quarterback especially, you have to have perfect timing with everyone on the offense you have to have a perfect snap you have to know when it's coming you have to have that 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 cadence that rhythm that everyone knows and understands the receivers have to break at the right time you have to know when they're going to break and that obviously takes a couple days or weeks even to to really get into a rhythm heck it can take years sometimes it never works sometimes it never works sometimes even a good quarterback doesn't work with a team because it just, for some reason, things don't ever really connect together. If it's because the center isn't, you know, snapping the ball on time or the receivers aren't cutting or the quarterback has a high voice that they can't hear, there's a lot that goes into football that, that we don't see. And so when you see an offense that struggles, I mean, I mean, for example, this is a perfect example. Why did Case Keenum have a lot of success in his year in Minnesota and then was terrible in Denver? I mean, part of it's coaching, part of it's skill, part of it's, I don't know, maybe a little bit of luck, but a lot of it's coaching scheme. It really is. I mean, and, and I think you're going to see that difference this year, that you're going to have a coaching scheme that that it, it can't be worse. And now, I don't know what Scangarello is going to do, Rich Scangarello. I mean, I think I have a lot of hope for him. I think he did a lot with, with Nick Mullins um, in San Francisco, a guy who was an absolute nobody, and he looked pretty good in the scheme. It's a scheme that's been around forever. It's a scheme that Joe Flacco knows. I've said over and over, I think it's a scheme that that Noah Fant is going to really thrive in. But it can't be worse. It cannot be worse than 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 what they've had over the last few years. And there you really when you start looking back on the last two years, it baffles the mind some of the decisions they were making. Philip Lindsay not catching any balls out of the backfield is just it's completely indefensible. <laughs> in multiple ways. Literally, it can't be defended. And literally, it's indefensible that the coaches didn't do it. What on earth? You know, it, it really, uh, it, it, you know, Musgrave, it's like, dude, what what are you doing? What, what was the plan? It, let's take a scat back, a guy who's amazing with space, and let's not give him any space. And to Philip Lindsay's credit, the dude still had a great year. First ever undrafted rookie to make the Pro Bowl. I think I saw this week they did the the top 100 players, I think, on the, the NFL network. And Lindsey, if I remember right, was number 68 in the top 100 in his second year, undrafted. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. I can talk about a, a local kid that, wow, what, what a story. What a story. And I, I really hope he's going to last. I, I, I worry about him a bit. 
I think a lot of these smaller guys, they don't last a long time, but some of them do. Look at Darren Sproles. I mean, Sproles, you know, was was really kind of the guy for a long time in New Orleans and in San Diego. And, and hey, why not? I mean, Lindsey, as long as he stays healthy, he could be that guy. The guy who's catching balls out of the backfield, you know, becomes sometimes even a, a slot receiver, even, a, you know, kind of a second slot receiver. Oh, man, how good would that be? I mean, he, he, this guy in space is one of the best in football. At least he was last year. And heck, he's even good running up the middle too, but especially in space. Wow. So if they can find a way to, to work that in, and, and I've heard at camp, they've already really started to run him in packages where he's he's running routes and running out of the backfield. And that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's something that should have been done last year, of course. And now it's good to see that they're going to do it now. And I think if he can have a great year out of the backfield catching balls and you have Freeman and, and um, Booker as your you know bell cow guys get a yard or two, three every attempt, you've got some talent on offense. I'm still not totally sure of, of you know, the, the receiving core. Is Sanders going to be healthy? Is Sutton going to be a number one guy? Deshaun Hamilton, is he going to, to take that next step to be a really good or even a solid starting wide receiver, slot receiver? We'll see. It, it's really hard to say. I think we've got to temper the expectations a bit, but I think it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good offense. It's going to be a very solid offense. I can see them as being a top 15, but they're, they're not going to be top 10, I don't think. I mean, I'd be shocked if they were a top 10 offense. Not this year. You're going to have a lot of stuff you've got to figure out. The offensive line is totally patchwork still. You know, Connor McGovern, heck, maybe he's he'll end up being a good blocker, a good you know snapper, but right now, eh, it's a question mark. I mean, the guy has had real struggles in camp already in snapping to a, in, you know, in the shotgun formation. That's, I mean, hopefully something they figure out. I and mean, he claims that it's a, it's a muscle memory thing. Um, but it does worry me a bit. It does worry me a bit that that is going to be a problem and that the offensive line is going to have a problem with cohesion, you know, being cohesive, I should say. But again, that was a problem in the last few years. But this year we have Mike Munchak. And so there's just that bit more hope, right? I mean, maybe there's not as much talent as we would like. I think everyone would agree with that. Ron Leary is always hurt. Garrett Bowles is kind of the butt of all jokes. Um, you know, you have Elijah Wilkinson, who's, who people are raving about, but I mean, he's kind of a nobody. Well, well, there's a lot of question marks, but we have Mike Munchak, and that gives us more hope. It shows you the importance of, of coaches, at least in giving us something to to have some faith in. You know, even if we're not the most talented team, if it's well coached, if it's productive, if it if everyone does their jobs, you've got a chance. And that's something that Skipper Dude is going to talk about a bit later. He's got a really great segment coming up, and he mentions that. It's about doing your job. I, I think that the Philadelphia Eagles um, two years back are a really great example. They had a good team. They had a lot of good players, but they had few stars. There were not a lot of star players on that team. There are a lot of good players. They worked well together. They played well together. They were well coached. They had good schemes. They they just did the job. There was nothing sexy about that team. And it's similar to, the, to New England. They're, they have a great coach. They have schemes that fit the players. And they, they just don't make many mistakes. And that is a way to win, even if you don't have the most talented team. I mean, how many of these New England teams have been the most talented team in the league the year they won the Super Bowl? 
not many, a couple of them, but but most of them have been, you know, kind of mid-level talents that are just really well coached and they're players that fit perfectly. That's what's going to need to happen in Denver, as we've talked about before. You've got Fangio now. He's got to be the guy. We, we keep talking about that over and over and over, how much you need consistency in the coaching staff. Those are the teams that win. Now, every now and then you'll have a guy who comes in first year, second year, and and, and immediately performs well, say McVeigh, you know, in, in LA. But even his first year, they weren't great. You need that consistency. You need to build a team around a scheme. You need to bring in guys who, who are going to work with what Fangio does and what Scangarello does on offense. And I think that's exactly what they did with Noah Fant. That's why I'm so high on Noah Fant. I think he works really well with Flacco and with Scangarello. And I think that's why they brought in Bryce Callahan. I mean, he's a guy who they know works in Fangio's scheme because he played with Fangio in Chicago. So that's what they're going to need. They're going to need a few years to build the team around guys who can pick the scheme up and run with it. And that's something that absolutely is going to be needed on the offensive line. They're going to need it more with skilled players. I'm not totally sold on this secondary. There's a lot of question marks. I think because they're they're with a really good coach, they still have some some really good talent, of course, with Chris Harris Jr. Bryce Callahan, also very good. They they definitely have the chance to be a good secondary, even a great secondary. But we will have to see. We'll 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 see what happens with, with the secondary and with the pass rush. If the coaching scheme is enough to make them a top ten defense. Could be. Could be. And if so, then there is hope for this team even in 2019. Even in 2019, if the offense can be top 15, defense can be top 10, heck, you know, that they they could go places. They could go places. Skipper Dude is going to talk a little bit about his five impressions from camp so far. Some really good stuff. Absolutely stay tuned for him. After that, I will have the final segment for this Saturday special edition of the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. We will also be back on Monday talking about the second week and, of course, looking forward to the Hall of Fame game against Atlanta next Friday. Skipper Dude, up next after this quick break. Thanks as always for having me on, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today, surprise, surprise, we're going to take a look at some storylines from the first week of camp. Honestly, it wasn't a super notable week, which is actually a good thing. Your big headlines this time of year tend to be with contract holdouts and major injuries. So outside of Todd Davis being out for several weeks, no news has been good news on that front. So my first observation for this week, plus of camp, has to do with Drew Locke. I think it was last week that I said Drew Locke was my number one storyline to watch this camp because long-term, he's likely to have the biggest impact on the Denver Broncos' success of any player currently in camp, and that even includes Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. And it's very clear from reading MHR and other Bronco discussion sites that fans are still feeling the sting of the Paxton Lynch debacle. But, but really, I can't see how the first week-plus of camp has been much less than our best case scenario. 
Drew Locke's footwork looks vastly improved over last year. He seems to be starting to pick up Scangarello's offense, and he's flashing that monster skill set of his. I said last week that if he could just have a practice or two, perhaps a preseason game, where he looks like the next coming of John Elway, then that's about as much as we can ask out of him this season. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we certainly seem to be on that path. Which brings me to my second observation. Last Friday, I think it was, Vic Fangio came out in the media and basically called Drew Locke out as being like a baseball pitcher with a great arm, but who has yet learned to pitch. And when that quote hit the social media, I decided to see how your more casual Bronco fans were handling the news. It was actually pretty gloomy with folks criticizing Fangio for calling out a player publicly. Now, I'm reading these quotes and I'm thinking, no, 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 no. First of all, get used to some of that because that's who we've hired with Vic Fangio, a guy who's going to speak his mind in basically every situation. But more importantly, Vic Fangio didn't call out Drew Locke to embarrass him. He did it to send a very clear message to Bronco country. We do not have a quarterback controversy. I don't care how good Drew Locke looks in camp. And personally, I'm glad he did it. Joe Flacco went out and threw three interceptions the next day on Saturday. The last thing Fangio and Scangarello and the Broncos offense need right now is for the fan base to get restless and start calling for Drew Locke. Fangio, I think, did a great job of nipping that sentiment in the bud. If anything, I think Drew Locke is working toward putting to rest any doubts about the number two quarterback job. Kevin Hogan is basically just a placeholder at this point, and I'm sure he knows it. That number two job is Locke's to lose, and he's showing every sign of being up to the task. Which brings me to my third observation. Does Joe Flacco realistically have a leash at all in 2019? I mean, I think it's pretty reasonable that if the Broncos are out of the playoff chase by November or December, you'll see Fangio and Scangarello end the Joe Flacco experiment and get ready for the 2020 season. That's pretty much a given. But can Joe Flacco play badly enough before the Broncos are out of contention to lose his job, presumably to Drew Locke? I've been on record as saying no, and I'm still basically of that opinion, but not as entirely as I once was. Clearly, Flacco, if Flacco has a bad quarter or a bad half, he's not going to be going to lose his job. If he plays atrociously and causes the Broncos to lose six straight games, on the other hand, then certainly Fangio needs to make a move, right? So there is a leash, at least theoretically. It's just a matter of how long the leash is. Personally, I'm thinking the leash is probably about four or five games long, meaning that four very bad games from Flacco in a short period, maybe four out of six, then you at least have to think about making a move. Realistically, the continued development of Drew Locke will determine whether the leash is more like four games or five games. I, I don't really see it getting pushed down to three even. Personally, I think Flacco is going to thrive in this Scangarello offense, which probably doesn't make him anything better than a league average quarterback, mind you. But this season, we would definitely take league average quarterback play. And speaking of thriving in the Scangarello offense, that brings me to my fourth point, which is Noah Fant. About a month ago, I gave a hot take here on Broncos and Bratwurst that it was going to be a long, hot summer for Noah Fant. And I think that's pretty well borne out to be true. We all know he's a monster physical talent 
with a potentially great future. In fact, I know Kevin is ex- is especially sanguine about his his potential impact this year. And and for me, I do see that that big time impact in years ahead. I'm just not sold that he's going to be ready for it this year. And, and you know, he's he seems to be a good, hardworking, smart kid. But based on his college profile and his scouting report and what we're seeing in camp. He comes across to me, at least, as a young man with some mental stamina issues, which basically means that I think he tends to wear down mentally at times, which leads to sloppy route running, taking plays off, and, of course, drop passes. My, my thought was that these mental breakdowns were going to drive Vic Fangio absolutely nuts, and he was going to be particularly rough on Fant. And it's possible that that's happening behind the scenes because Fangio isn't really a guy who's going to verbally undress players during a public practice. But what surprised me a bit is that apparently it's the other players who have been riding Fant and giving him the tough love that he seems to need to step up his mental game to the NFL level. I honestly didn't see that coming, which speaks fairly well to the chemistry, the leadership, and the accountability that appears to be starting to develop in the locker room. Now, speaking of leadership and accountability among players, that brings me to my fifth and final observation of camp this week, and that is the lack of fighting skirmishes so far in camp, especially in the trenches. We got our first good one on on Wednesday of this week when Derek Wolf got into it with Connor McGovern and ended up launching McGovern's helmet downfield. But things have been quiet on that front overall. And in fact, afterwards, I think it was Wolf who said that the two have just laughed it off afterward, and it really meant nothing. So, so as I was pondering the upcoming camp a few weeks ago, I was thinking about wild guys like, like Garrett Bowles and Dalton Reisner and Andy Janovich on offense. I wasn't even thinking about McGovern. And then Wolf and Shelby Harris and Adam Gotsis on defense. And I was definitely seeing the potential for fur flying, especially in weeks like last week when it got so hot out. And historically, I've always gotten a bit of a charge out of these fights and, and looked at them as a good thing. I mean, doesn't that tell us that these guys are giving it their all? They're playing with heart and emotion. They're leaving it all on the field. I pondered that this past week, and honestly, I'm second-guessing that sentiment. I really don't think it's true. In past Broncos and Broadway's broadcasts, I've talked about my own experiences with Vic Fangio-type coaches, and I'm not going to rehash those. But, but what I remember from those days is that at least one of those coaches, he wanted me to play angry. He wanted me playing with more aggression and passion, and he was good at pushing my buttons and making me angry. But you know what? When I would get angry, it was always with him, and it was always with myself. I never got angry with my teammates. They were always family, and many of them were dealing with similar anger-oriented issues. But in my mind, that's a big part of what a great head coach and a great coaching staff does. They take that anger and emotion, which is necessary to a certain extent, to push a player to greatness, especially in your power-type positions along the line, and channel it. When a player is channeling that anger into fighting his teammate, the head coach is doing a lousy job on that front. Players need to channel their anger in a way that is going to create a perfect pinnacle of body, mind, and spirit on game day. To the extent they're not channeling against the coach, they should be channeling against themselves. And of course, the coach is combining that anger with more important things like discipline, precision, and perfection of the playbook and whatnot. But, But when it's done right, 
it creates great focus right at those moments when you most need it. Players are going to get into that fourth quarter situation where you need a stop or you need a touchdown to win a game. And if the head coach has done his job right, every player is focused on taking care of his business. And when a coach achieves that, he's typically going to achieve success. So as an example, let's say Cortland Sutton breaks into a route you know, late in the fourth quarter. And he knows with confidence that Juwan James and Connor McGovern and Philip Lindsay and, of course, Joe Flacco are going to take care of their business and that Scangarello's play calling is taking care of his business. And instead of having to be a hero, he just has to do his job. Once the coaching staff achieves that, good things are going to happen. This is the kind of harmony that the Broncos absolutely didn't have under Vance Joseph. And it's kind of the kind of harmony I see the Broncos headed toward, although it's going to take a couple of seasons before I think we'll see it in full bloom. But I do believe that the lack of skirmishes among the linemen in camp so far is a nice sign that things are heading in that good direction. Kevin, back to you. Really good stuff from the skipper dude. And I think that there are definitely points in his segment that I want to talk about here coming up. Um, I do want to, for this last segment, I want to talk about three things I don't like so far from camp and three things I do like. And they'll kind of go hand in hand with a bit of what skipper dude talked about and some of it uh, to do with the culture and the coaching staff so far, which I think is, is obviously vital to the team's success um, just almost equally or even more so than the actual talents on the team so far in 2019, at least. Um, three things that I don't like so far from camp that I've, that I've heard coming out of Dove Valley. Number one, the Connor McGovern um, snapping. I, I Like I said in the first segment, I think that's a big problem. I think that when you bring in a guy who's not very experienced at center, he's got so much he's got to do. He's got to know, he's got to kind of run the offensive line usually. He's got to snap the ball. He's got to, you know, block, obviously. Um, and for a guy to not really be in control of that after the first few days of camp, that, that that's a big question mark for me. And that goes along with, with the offensive line in general, especially the first few days. There were a lot of interceptions, a lot of tipped passes at the line. Part of that is because the Broncos still have a good defense. Part of it is because the quarterbacks were eh, not great. But a big part is the offensive line. I'm just not sold on it. I'm I just not. I don't think anyone is. I don't think anyone should be. Now, hopefully they're better than terrible, but they're not going to be good this year. I, I just, there's not a whole lot of reason to think that they will be. They haven't been the last few years and they haven't really upgraded. Maybe James at right tackle will be better, but you know, Valdir wasn't, I guess he wasn't total garbage. So James, you know, if he actually fulfills his potential as the highest paid right tackle in football, then okay, they, they should improve a bit. But we'll see. And I think, again, I'm going to give Munchak the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully he can make them better. But the talent there is absolutely questionable at best. Uh, number two, the wide receivers, at least for the most part, are not getting open. Now, that changed, I think, over, I don't know, the last few days. Um, they, they started to have a bit better camps, a bit better days. The quarterback started to look a little bit better, a little more in rhythm, as we talked about. But in general, there, there's not really been any receivers that are flashing. You're starting to hear... You know, quotes from the coaches and from media saying that some of these nobodies, um, uh, Kelvin McKnight, I think is his name, an undrafted guy, are starting to get some attention because they're actually getting open. 
And when you have to make a comment like that, like it's surprising that these guys are getting open, first of all, props to them. But second of all, that, that makes me worry a bit about this wide receiving core. I mean, Sutton is a guy that has this, the, the body and the skills, but he's a second-year guy. We really don't know what he's going to bring to this team. We all hope he's going to be number one. We hope he's going to be the next Julio Jones. But we really got to wait and see. And, and that worries me a bit. They have not flashed. There's been no, wow, you know, this guy's been great. Sutton's been great. Sanders looks incredible. And that's something to absolutely pay attention to for the rest of camp and through the, the preseason games to see which guys can actually create space because that, that was also a problem. I mean, Case Keenum got 99.9% of the crap on the field. Vance Joseph got 100% of the crap off the field. But you got to remember, this is a team game. The offensive line was terrible. The wide receivers didn't get open. That, that was part of the problem the last few years. Why was Case Keenum so much better in Minnesota? You can't only point to him. When he had the talent around him, when he had receivers who could actually get open, he was a pretty decent quarterback that worked with the scheme. So that's something we should pay attention to and hope that these guys pick it up, especially Sutton. Sutton, there are a lot of a lot of there's a lot of faith and hope put on his shoulders. He has to be the number one for this offense to do anything, even with Fant. Sutton has got to take that next step and become the guy. And if he can't then this offense is not going to be a top 15 offense. Uh, number three, I don't like how few snaps Drew Locke is getting with the the second team. I, I think Kevin Hogan's been brutal. As for, from everything I've heard, he's not been good. He's not been anything resembling a guy who you'd want to run the team in, in case Joe Flacco gets hurt, which is very, very possible. Joe Flacco very often gets hurt. Um, so I think, you know, come on, you, you've got a second round pick there who's talented he hasn't had a great camp either but he's a rookie I would rather see him get the chance to work with the twos you know struggle a bit maybe throw some picks maybe not even look good but geez I'd rather him do that than Hogan do it I mean come on Hogan's a camp arm nobody cares about Hogan I mean there's no future for him in Denver obviously so I don't really understand the point of running with Hogan rather than Locke I mean they've looked about equally bad I guess Hogan probably understands that the the offense a bit better because he's you know a veteran who's I mean been around and, and understands how these things work but I think that Locke should be getting more and I think again that's something that, that's gotten a bit more as camp has gone on but I sh- I would still much prefer to see Locke getting the lion's share with the with the twos because well Hogan is garbage okay so the three things that I do like number one I love to see Lindsay catching the ball out of the backfield. That's just awesome to me. Now, and, and, and it's something he could become one of the most dangerous players in the NFL if used correctly. I, I fully believe that. If he's used to the, the full extent of his skills, I mean, someone like Kareem Hunt, obviously different you know, body type, but, but a guy who can catch the ball, he can become your fourth or fifth receiver, and obviously run out of the backfield, possibly even return punts and kickoffs. You're gonna you're you're risking a bit and you overusing him and, and hurting him. But whoa, man, this guy! I, I think get get him some screens, get him some slants. Ah, oh, dude could dude could totally own 2019, and, and I'm looking forward to watching him um, and seeing what they do in the preseason. I, you're not going to see anything too special, obviously, because preseason never shows anything too special, but I'll be curious to see how they use him and if they use Royce Freeman as the number one or 
in my opinion, Devontae Booker, <laughs> which, boy, when I say him as number one, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, we'll see what happens with the running group. Um, good to see Lindsay catching it out of the backfield. Number two, um, I like to see the high praise for coaches coming from the the players. And, it, and it's a different type of praise, in my opinion. From what I've heard, what I've seen, it's not just this, oh, yeah, this coach, he's a really nice dude. He really looks out for us. He's really there for us, which I think you kind of heard over the last few years. I think maybe Vance Joseph is a guy who who wanted, you know, who was kind of a buddy-buddy kind of with the guys. Um, it's been more like, hey, this coach is really helping me become a better player. You've seen that. I just saw a quote from Will Parks about Ed Donatel and saying that he's really helped him to realize some things he didn't know already. He's also complimented his his coaching style. And Drew Locke also did with uh, Scangarello and said that he's a guy who's really helped him. He, he's been supportive, but also, I think, tough. Also, But he, he's he's let him fail. I think that's what Drew Locke said. He, he's let him fail a bit and then taught after letting him experience that failure and not just screaming at him from a mistake. And I think, again that you have players coming out and saying, hey, I love how I'm being coached. That's a really good sign. And and to, to piggyback on Skipper, dude, the fact that there have been so few fights and the fact that they, they are getting pushed and maybe they, they have a little bit of that, that you know, not hate, but that, you know, dislike of Vic Fangio because he's pushing him and a tough, old-fashioned coach. That's a good thing. That's a good culture. That That's what you want. You want guys fighting and playing with each other and for each other. And you want a coach who's, a bit of a hard ass. I think that's what you want. That's what you want in leadership. It's like, say, in the military, you don't want some general who's just kind of this pansy, buddy, buddy guy. You want someone you can look up to and respect. Yeah, sometimes he's going to be tough. Sometimes he's going to give you a hard time, but you know that he's doing it for the best reasons. He's not doing it just because he likes to yell. He's not doing it because he likes his voice to be heard. He's doing it because he wants the team to be the best they can. And when you have that 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 team aspect and the player's are there for each other, that's, that is a good sign. And, and it's really something we've seen all through camp that it's, it's been smooth. It's been nice things being said by coaches and players, but, but the right things, not just nice things, not just, yeah, this dude's cool. You know, it's been like, Hey, look, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning a lot and they seem honest about that. And then that's, that's a good thing. There's a lot of a lot of hope for the future for this team if they can put to the field at least what they're saying is coming out of camp. That, obviously, we will see in the next few years. Number three, what I like from camp so far, there have been, there's been very little drama and not any serious injuries except for to Todd Davis, and he will even be back for the start of the regular season, or at least should be. Now, I'm literally knocking on wood as we speak. Um, but that's a good thing. Of course, anytime you have camp where there's, there's no holdouts, there's no drama, there's no injuries, you're just going along with very little news. It's good. And, 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 and obviously, as we know, it's bad for the media. It's bad for podcasters who don't really have a whole lot of information, but it's very, very good for the team. And I'll be curious to see. I mean, Monday, we're going to talk a little bit more about looking forward. We're going to look about, you know, the the upcoming game game against Atlanta. Obviously, you're not going to see much or anything probably from the starters. But there are a lot of positions that it's going to be nice to see these young guys get the chance. I mean, guys like McKnight and, and I have another, what was the guy's name? A little uh, slot receiver who looks a lot like Wes Welker. Uh, Nick, Nick. 
I don't know, one of, one of these guys. You know, these types of guys who, who are getting their chance to at least make the practice squad or, heck, maybe even to make the, the roster to start the season. This is their chance to really put that forward. And it's a chance to see what Vic Fangio does as head coach. He's never been a head coach. I mean, we're going to see how he operates a game, how he manages in-game. That's a huge part of being a coach, as we saw with Vance Joseph. You have to have that bearing and the understanding of the game and to know what's going on at all times and not to panic. That's what Bill Belichick is so good at. They're so good at game planning. And then, you know what? If their game plan didn't work, they go into halftime and they completely change everything. And then they come out and they own people in the second half. Look at the Super Bowl against Atlanta. I mean, they're so good at that. They're so good at at changing it and not being stuck in one thing and not being stuck in their game plan. And that's something that, I mean, geez, you know, if if... If uh, Belichick's on one side, then Vance Joseph is on the complete other side. They could never find an, you know, the, the the change. They could never fix things as things went along. And we don't know if Fangio can either. We don't. We haven't seen it. We don't know if Scangarello can. And that's going to be really interesting to see. If things don't go their way, let's see. Let's say Atlanta goes up twenty-one nothing. I mean, who cares? It's the Hall of Fame game. I understand. But let's say they do. What happens? What does Fangio do? Does he change the scheme? Does he keep running with what he has? Now, yeah, we're not going to see everything we're going to see during the regular season, but I think we'll see enough. We're going to see enough. We're going to see. Okay, what does he do differently in the second half if they're ahead, or what does he do if they're behind? And they'll give us a bit of a peek, and I think we'll be able to see how how does he act on the sidelines? Does he look like he's in control? What what are his facial expressions even? I mean, I think you're going to see obviously a guy who's much more, you know, in control, a guy who's very calm. He's not going to be yelling and throwing things. I think that's more of his personality. He's not a screamer, but he's going to be a guy who looks mature and who looks like he knows what he's doing on the sideline. And that's going to be a very, very nice change from the last few years. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that game. I'm looking forward to watching the, you know, the highlights of what these young guys can put together. I'm looking forward to see what the offensive line can do. If it were me, I would put every single starter of the offensive line out there for, for a half. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, sure. You're risking a bit of an injury, but these guys, boy, do they need work and boy, do they need work together and they they need to, to, to become a cohesive unit. And, and, you know, is that ever going to actually work with Leary always being hurt? Yeah, maybe not. So maybe you need to find someone who's not always hurt. Maybe Leary just needs to sit the bench and, and you just eat his salary, which you've done the last few years because the dude, he's never going to be healthy. That's become apparent. So find someone else, whoever it's going to be, plug him into that left guard spot and let these guys play as much as possible in the preseason. That's what they've got to do. They've got to become a unit. They're not the most talented players. Maybe James Bowles has some potential, but they've got to learn how to become a unit that can at least, at least be okay. They don't have to be great. Just be okay. Be good enough. Don't get Joe Flacco killed, for goodness sake. And right now, it doesn't look good. And I hope that that changes. And I hope that they find a way to become a unit and I hope that Munchak is the guy who can bring that to the unit and to the offense in general that's all I've got for today uh we'll be back Monday so we'll be back right with you to go over the next week of training camp and of course to talk about the Hall of Fame game and all things Broncos y'all have a great weekend we'll talk to you Monday